0: Welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Human. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack these stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today I'm here with Caleb, who is a former assistant captain of the Humboldt Broncos hockey team and one of the 13 survivors of the tragic bus crash. Shortly after getting out of the hospital, Caleb began his studies at York University and joined the York Lions varsity hockey team. He is the founder of Dahlgren's Diabetes. Did I say that properly? You did, yeah, Diabetes. Nice. A program that supports children with type 1 diabetes and shares his message of hope and healing with groups across North America. Along with his book, Crossroads, we're going to talk about all of this. So thank you so much for the time. Caleb, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on here. I'm honored and really grateful for the opportunity. So am I, to be to be honest with you. So it's I always I flip that back to everyone coming on. I mean, time is our most valuable resource and I appreciate it. So I'm excited for this one. Um before we get into your your story, your work, your book, and everything uh, in between, I'd just love to know, you know, who are you? Who is Caleb? Oh boy, how uh <laughs> we, deep we start right here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, what, my name is Caleb. What defines Caleb. you? Yeah, I'd say I am just turned 24, actually, birthday was a couple days ago, 24-year-old oh, male, thank you, living in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan right now with my parents. Uh, first time I've been back home this full year uh, since I was 15. So it's been kind of whirlwind with the COVID situation, but I thought it'd be best to be with my family and really get some quality family time and also save money on rent. So okay. I did my last year of school online at York University, and I graduated with a commerce degree. And uh, now I'm moving into chiropractic studies at Canadian Memorial Chiropractic College in Toronto and pursuing my real-life job as a chiropractor. So super excited with that. And uh, I guess in the background, I wrote a book during my studies. I was a student athlete for the men's hockey program, involved in lots of various initiatives and communities. So to kind of put it all in one picture, I'd say I'm a mental health, diabetes, health, and advocates, and then also uh, want to be a philanthropist within our community and spread positivity everywhere I go.
0: Love it, Thank but you. you can't go wrong with that. Thank you. Right. I mean, I think I think we could all use some positivity, and you know, just the the vibe of hope. I think. I mean, especially last couple of years now, or especially during this pandemic. I mean, I think a lot of people have turned to. Turned in reflection, and and at times just felt hopeless that things were, are never going to come back, or you know, uncertain on on how everything will play out. And it's it really, it really messes with your mind, obviously. And you For know, sure. I know you've you've got. You, we'll get into you know the 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 whole event and the in the bus crash, obviously, which is uh, I hope no one ever has to go through an event like that. Um, but I imagine, you know, that that whole situation has just trained your mind from a mental fitness perspective or provided a completely different outlook on just, I would say, life in general, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. And there's no manual or guidebook to how to respond to the situation or any situation really in life. And you have to, for me, try to find the positive and make the most of it. So that's what I tried to do throughout that tragedy. Yeah,
0: So why don't we just, for anyone that doesn't know, why why don't you just explain a little bit about, you know, April 6th, 2018. Uh, Not that long ago, obviously. Uh, What happened? You know, just how did that day start out? Oh, boy. So it was honestly just a normal day. And there was nothing unique
1: about the day whatsoever. At the time, I was playing with the Humble Broncos in the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League. And we were in the semifinals of the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League playoffs. And uh, we are on our way to win for game five in our series. We were down three to one in the series, but it honestly could have been three to one for us. We had mm-hmm. tons and tons of close games. We actually had leads in two games that went to overtime that we lost. We blew the leads and then went to overtime and lost. So it could have been three to one for us um, and really tight-knit series. So we were, had our backs against the wall that day, but it was just normal game day pretty much. We went to the rink, had a pregame skate, went back home, I actually went after the rink to Johnny's Bistro for a little brunch. Went back home, had a pregame nap, got ready, (laughs) packed up our stuff, headed for the rink again, got to the rink, packed our bags, loaded the bus, and got on the bus. And so it was, like, completely normal, nothing different. Um, We headed out of the city, and guys were listening to music, jamming out, uh, watching movies on their iPads, playing cards, joking around. Just normal things that you do on a bus. And
0: Did you then, feel it um, all off, Caleb? Like, no. You know, I you know how sometimes you get those feelings where you're like, something's gonna happen. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I didn't no. at all. And that was like for me, I'd no I didn't feel off whatsoever. For me, it was just a normal game day, and I treated it like a normal game day. I think okay. that's what all of us did. Like we all knew our backs were against the wall, but we felt confident in our abilities because we knew we'd beat when We knew that we had it in us. We had the lead multiple times in the series. It wasn't like we were just getting worked over. And Nippon was like, Nippon was a top 10 team in Canada, even top five team in Canada at that time. And so we were like making a name for ourselves in the league too. And even in Canada. So, um, with that, we were just proud of ourselves, but we knew within our group that we had what it takes to win the series. So that was our only really focus was winning that game and then going back to Humboldt winning the next one. But first we had to win the game at hand. So, uh, I never really thought different. It didn't feel off. It didn't feel awkward. And, uh, On our way, we ended up um, just doing what we normally did. I changed into my suit. I wear usually like sweats and a hoodie and something like that on the bus. And then Mm -hmm. we change into our suits closer to the arena because we want to look good. But on the bus, we don't really want to make it all wrinkled and all that. So we usually just wear We usually change on the bus. So anyways, I have a pre-meal meal. After that, put on my suit. And as I put on my suit, sat down, aisle seat, driver's side. And I remember everything leading right up to the crash. So guys were chatting, joking around. I chimed in, started joking too. I was like, okay, I need to focus up here. This is like a little bit too much. And we got a game coming up. So usually half an hour out, I like to visualize. And okay. just to get my head in the game and like really work on the mental aspect of the sport too. And so I was visualizing and I was like, okay, I go, I ended up uh, putting my head down, pressing play and closing my eyes to visualize. And then that was the last thing I remember. Everything went black. And then four days later, I woke up in a four and a half days later. I woke up in the hospital confused about what had just happened, looking around like, where am I kind of thing. I asked Mm -hmm. my parents, how do we win our game? And they looked at me really confused saying, what game? So in these four and a half days, I don't remember. I guess that I was still coherent. I was still talking to people, conversing. I um, still was with it, but I, I, it's like, it's called post-traumatic amnesia, which is a blackout technically. Okay. And you're still talking all that, but you're just not in your characteristic manner. You're doing different things they would have done, saying different things they would have done, did. And so for me at that time, I guess on the scene, I was helping out. I don't remember this, but my first responder said I was helping out. Um, my parents were saying I was talking with people. I met with the prime minister and all this stuff. And I don't remember that whatsoever. So that was like oh, wow. my four and a half day blackout. Um, and then when I did wake up, I didn't really realize what had just happened. I was really confused about why I was even in a hospital in the first place, thinking that I probably got injured in the game, probably got checked from behind. And that was like, sure, okay, I and now I'm here in the hospital kind of thing.
0: So you didn't, it, it wasn't a physical wake up. It was, a, it was a mental no. wake-up. I didn't realize it that, was, actually. Yeah, yeah, it was mentally wake-up. It wasn't physically. Physically,
1: I was still there from, like, day accident site and on. But mentally, I didn't actually come to every senses or whatever out of my post-traumatic amnesia until four and a half days later. So um, okay. that was really difficult for me to kind of understand. And my parents had told me multiple times about the crash, thinking that I knew about it the first time. Realizing, though, I never knew about it until four and a half days later.
0: Mm -hmm. And just for everyone listening, um, you know, what happened was essentially a semi-truck blew, was it a stop sign or a red light or something like that? Yeah, I
1: could give the details here. Yeah, Yeah, so a semi-truck, we were on like a highway going up north to Nipawin and a semi-truck blew through a stop sign at the intersection And we ended up running into the trailer of the Mm semi-truck. So we T-boned the semi-truck on our bus. And 16 of my teammates' family passed away. And 13 others survived. And I was one of the 13 survivors.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I remember. I mean, obviously, as, as you can imagine, the whole country, and I think the whole world, really, you know, that was... A lot of people knew about that and obviously uh, you know in canada we we were all just i think we're all physically rocked mentally rocked by yeah. that one it's just such a, a tragic story so i appreciate yeah. you sharing the details i mean the last thing i want to do is, is bring up tough times for you um but i appreciate you setting the the context yeah no problem no problem at all and when i i guess th- there must have been a point at one point as you were you know physically mentally rehabbing let's say and getting you know your health back w- was there a point where you experienced some sort of message to to you know guide or some sort of thought some sort of trigger that said you know uh, this is the path i want to go down in, in the sense of like you've got the book now and you're you're speaking about uh, you know this event and just mental health and also obviously diabetes as well in general like was there was there a moment when you when you remember something flipped Mm, I want to say kind of yes and kind of no. Sure. To be honest, before
1: the crash, um, I was doing lots of work in the community to begin with. This was before anything had happened. I had my own Dahlgren's Diabetes Mentorship Program. I was doing speeches at schools about diabetes and generating awareness there. Yeah. Um, so I was doing that kind of stuff beforehand. And then... Right after the crash, I ended up having a bit of survivor's guilt. It just didn't make sense because my teammates were right beside me, passed away. People who were behind me, teammates behind me, passed away. It was just, it didn't make Mm -hmm. sense. And there was no really way to have my head wrap around why I was here and why others weren't. And even the fact that I was the older one on the team and we had younger ones who weren't here, it was just difficult for me to wrap my head around. Um, So that was hard. But after, like, a couple days, I just thought to myself, "There's it's out of my control here. And what's in my control is how I want to move forward from the situation, how I want to treat others, my actions, my perspective, um, my thoughts, my beliefs. And what would happen if I wasn't here? Like, what if I wasn't here and I was gone? And what would I want the survivors to do? And mm-hmm. so I really put that mindset into gear and – one of the big things was that I want the survivors to live their life to the fullest, to have fun, to follow their passions and dreams, and to make the most of this and to come out of this positive and be happy at the end of the day. And so that really helped me kind of get out of that native mindset of asking them questions of why, because Yeah. I looked at it and I had to focus on the things I could control because I couldn't control a semi driver. I couldn't control who was here, who wasn't. I couldn't control the crash, the injuries. There's a lot of stuff out of my control. And the second that I was able to accept that, I think, was the moment of me moving forward and trying sure. to make the most of the situation and honor the 16 to live my life to the fullest for those who aren't here. And so that was the path that I took. Um, I think due to my personality, the speaking engagements kind of came to me. I wasn't out seeking for them. I had lots and lots of people tell me I should write a book. I had lots and lots of people tell me I should speak. Um, gotcha. And so it was more of my perception, and how I was wanting to try to make something positive out of this negative situation, and use whatever we were given for good. And so I wanted to try to use it for good.
0: I mean, it's a beautiful, a beautiful message, obviously. And you know, we were chatting a little bit before this about just the concept of the book I've been working on, which is all questions, essentially. So. And so is this podcast, frankly. So you, as you know, I'm, I'm quite obsessed about g- good quality questions. And you dropped a few of those, right? Like what is within my control? And what if I wasn't here? I mean, those are really powerful prompts um, mm. that, you know, obviously we, we, we don't wish any type of massive tragic event on anyone, but these questions can be used in everyday life all the time. So I, I'm just curious, right. you know, fr- from your side, was there someone that, that, guided you with these type of prompts or like how did where did all this come from and what what kind of tool were you journaling on them or meditating on them like what what practically speaking what was your process so those came from earlier
1: life experiences Okay. Uh, when i was diagnosed with diabetes at four it was difficult for me to really comprehend yeah. and i really had to try to find the positive or the negative at that time and being a diabetic and looked at differently by your peers is hard enough. And then to grow up and have like coaches doubt on you and to always kind of have to prove yourself a little bit more than a person beside you gave me more fuel for my fire. And I think mm-hmm. that was for me trying to find the positive over that negative circumstance. And then I ended up losing yeah. my personal trainer and my teammate at a very young age. So I was like, when life really kind of hit me, I was like, I need to live my life to the fullest every day. Cause we are here on this earth for such a short amount of time. And then when I was 16, I almost lost my dad, which was another reminder of to treat everyone how I want to be treated and to look back at it and to make sure that I say everything I want to say to the people I love and to make sure they know and they feel my love for them. So I've had all these different experiences beforehand. And even like through my dad, he was on his deathbed and I got a message from my mom. So even in the book, I, I put like the actual text it was, And said, like, you need to get home now. Dad's not going to make it. And I had a game. I was two and a half hours away. And I had a game to play in seven minutes. Mm. And I read that message. So, like, those kind of situations in my life before the crash really helped mold me to the person I am today. And I think that looking back at it, I had definitely set a good mindset going into it before. It wasn't like I had to seek to find sure. stuff, it was more like I had this mindset already. I already knew I wanted to live my life to the fullest because I knew it could be gone fast, and that day proved even more so why I should still be living my life to the fullest. And I knew that I wanted trailers how I want to be treated because I almost lost my dad, and I wanted him to know how much he I pre- appreciated him. So I I really went all out to show him that, and that's what I did with my teammates, my family, so. I think before all that, it came in. But like I said, in the hospital, I did have survivor's guilt for a little bit. And it's hard It's hard not to ask those questions, those why questions. I think the hardest part about it is finding the acceptance that you may never get the answer. And I know acceptance is such a critical thing. In this world today, especially even with the pandemic, Like we have to accept that we can't control everybody and that we only can truly control ourselves. We can maybe help influence others, but we can't make somebody take a vaccine or make someone not take a vaccine. Mm-hmm. So I think that we have to learn to accept the things that we aren't able to control. And even at the start of the season, I uh, put up a sign on my bedroom. It was things that you can't control. And I had like, it was like a little chart. It was a little circle of things you can't control and little things stems sticking out saying like, Oh, beliefs, you can't control your actions, your work ethic, your attitude, your perception, your thoughts. The way you treat others things like that i and i created that start of the year and after the crash i went back to that and really thought deeply about that thing that i wrote down because um i wanted to make sure that i really did focus on those things and have gratitude even for the support and the fact that i was still here so i really tried to find the positives in that time i said like three things really helped me find the positives focusing on the things I can control and then enjoying the grind and the grind is literally work, school, academics, relationships, recovery. And at that time it was my recovery, but like really trying to enjoy the daily grind and finding that one positive. If it was me walking or me talking or the people around me every day and trying to get 1% better. Yeah.
0: Alright, hello friends. I have something to admit to you all. I am no longer recording this show out of my Mini Cooper. And surprise if you didn't know that. Thanks to the awesome humans over at Loop Phone Booths, I'm recording two podcasts in their Flex booth at home. I'm also recording my audiobook, Personal Socrates, in this booth while my five-year-old is running around downstairs screaming, being a five-year-old. The booth rocks. So if you're looking for a space to take calls, record in, or just find a little quiet in your day, check them out. They're over at loopphonebooths.com. Now back to the show. It, it's, I mean, I'm so happy to hear that, you know, you had this. Mental fitness training, or this attitude, or or mm-hmm. perspective on life, kind of early on, obviously, because um, mm-hmm. m- many don't, right? And and many come to come to this stuff at different times in their life, or some never do. But yeah, it just makes it reminds me, it's like, it's, it's no different than like your, your athletic training for like a big game. It's not like you're trying out new tricks and, and techniques and stuff like that on like game seven of a, of a game. It's like your, it's your years and years of training and dedication to your physical and mental abilities on the ice. It's I mean, it's no different with the stuff that you just mentioned. And, you know, cause you, then you're faced with, you know, horrific situation but you essentially went into somewhat of an autopilot to like back to your training right and were able yeah. to come out of because let's be honest I mean there's and I think everyone would understand like you could easily went into a bad loop and and still For be sure. in there you know and not, sure. not come out of that yeah and
1: I think I give credit lost credit to my support system too and even the support of the entire world I honestly wouldn't be the person I am today without that kind of support. And even looking back at it, I had so many friends who traveled from all over North America, like Arizona, Penn State, Syracuse, Vermont, um, Mm. Langley, like just all over just to be back home with me. And that really meant the world. And then even having my parents there supporting my girlfriend at the time and her family being there. And that was just internal and external, like the entire world rallied around it and supported us. People put sticks on their porches. They had ribbons, they had stickers on their cars. It was just, it was so crazy and humble, strong trending on social media. It was, it was really, really nice to see that support and have that support, which really, I think helped me too. But even I think my look back at it, I did have a mental coach. My uh, hockey career from about 14, maybe 13 years old onwards. And I think that some of the life lessons that he presented us was some of the things I took away too and used Mm -hmm. during that tragedy. So it was Kyle McDonald, and I want to give him credit too for putting, using life lessons that can be applied not just to hockey, but to life. And I think that was really big for me and all my coaches and teachers too. So I, I really think it takes a village to raise a person and it wasn't just me per se. And, uh, I'm really grateful for everybody in my life who had been there and supported me throughout that time, but
0: times in my life beforehand as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, shifting gears a bit, I mean, obviously related, but I'd, I'd love to know a little bit more about, uh, Crossroads, the book, and I guess maybe even just starting off with, you know, what is a crossroad to you? So that's a great question, and I'm really deep with
1: lots of stuff in the book, and the title was one of the biggest things that I was super deep with. And crossroads, for me, are things in your life that you have a decision or a choice to react to. And they can be good crossroads, they can be bad crossroads, but ultimately they lead you on your path in life. And so I was faced with some difficult crossroads throughout my life, but also really positive crossroads too. But in these crossroads, you have the ability to choose a positive or to choose a negative Mm. and to choose what might fit for you or might not fit for you. Um, What might be right, what might be wrong. And these are life choices that we make on a day-to-day basis, or it could be bigger choices. But the whole idea of crossroads was to find whatever situation you're at in life, whether that was, tough relationship or academics or um, sports, whatever you're in in life, and to find that positive choice and to take that positive path throughout life. And so that was the idea behind Crossroads and how it can apply literally to everyone and that we all have our different crossroads in life. So hopefully this book can help someone going through their own crossroads.
0: Well said. I mean,
1: I like a good deep title. I mean, you know, with some, some serious meaning and then I guess I should add in that also my life changed in the middle of a crossroad to the literal aspect of it. Yeah. Too. Yeah. So, like, there was also the figurative, which I was more leaning towards, but then literally my life changed at a crossroad. And so I thought that really fit the whole book because it just shows resilience, family hope, mm-hmm. positivity, and it also shows like challenges, adversity. So,
0: there's lots yeah. of meaning behind that title for me. Well, and the photo on the cover as well. I mean, it, it definitely, it's definitely very fitting, or it definitely makes you know you draw the the parallels to that. Was that the was that the exact spot where the accident that happened? Was, yeah,
1: that was the exact spot of where everything transpired on April 6, 2018. Wow. And uh, the idea was I wanted that picture to be more than a thousand words. You hear this uh, thing people say picture is worth a thousand words, but I wanted that one to be worth a thousand and one words. I mm. wanted it to really be impactful and powerful um, for the viewer. And also to show that you can go back to those tough crossroads in your life and choose the path that you want to go on. Because yeah. it's multidirectional. There's sun in it. It has a positive aspect in it. Um, so that was one of the big things for me.
0: So when you're fa I mean we talked a little bit about this. Uh I imagine, you know, there's there's something to do with the, you know, focusing you know, on what you can and cannot control. But when you're f- faced with crossroads, as you, I'm sure you've continued to be faced with in, in different mm-hmm. severities, obviously. Yep. What's what's your approach? Like do you, do you do you pause and and do some reflect like how do you do how do you evaluate the crossroad?
1: I like to take a step back and really just look within myself and see how I'm responding to the situation. Hmm. Am I responding in a good way? Am I responding in a bad way? Is this hurting or helping me? And I think if you can just take a step back and think, is this hurting or helping me? That could even help answer some of your questions. But yeah. even on a deeper level, I look at it and I think, what's the short-term impact and the long-term impact? And even, like, a good crossroad, per se, was, like, my decision to go to York University. Um, right after, the, right before the crash, I actually verbally was committed to York University for men's hockey. And after, they still offered me a spot. And so I took a step back, and I thought, well, is this going to help me or is this going to hurt me? This is a big life choice. They said I can go whenever I want. So that was great. And I told them I wanted to go that fall, right after the crash. So, like, four months after the crash, should be at York. And I said, I want to be there. And uh, I took a step back and I had doctors telling me that I didn't want me to go to school. And if I did go, I was going to fail. I was going to have a really bad life. I was going to go down a dark path. Um, And all of that kind of was one thing that they were saying. And there's like not just one, there's multiple saying that. And then I knew within myself, though, that this is like my lifelong goal. And that if I didn't at least give it a shot, then I wouldn't be able to really know and I'd always wonder what would happen if I did go. Hmm, and yeah. maybe I was able to succeed, succeed and prove them wrong and prove the people who believe in me right, but I won't know until I try. And if I did fail, then they were right. So like that was a big crossword in my life where I thought, huh, what can I control? And I could control my actions, my health, how I was going to try to heal to become the best version of myself physically, mentally, emotionally. So when I got there, I didn't go into a negative state. Also, what I intake in my body, what was I putting in? Was I putting healthy stuff? Was I putting unhealthy stuff? Who was I even spending my time with? Was I spending time with people who picked me up or brought me down? All these factors played into my decision of going to York in the first place. And so looking back at it now, that was one of the bigger crossroads in my life. And I healed the most and actually grew and thrived in my three years there. So I think that... When I did look back, I definitely take a step back and I try to weigh all the pros and cons of every situation, of every choice I make. But sometimes choices have to be fast. And sometimes you just got to go with your heart and hope that it works out too.
0: Yeah. Man, it's inspiring, buddy. Like, uh, you know, uh, it's been four plus years of interviewing people on this show and people come from all walks of life. And, you know, it's rare to have, you know, someone, you see you just turned 24, right? I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah you know, re- reflecting on these type of questions. So it's, uh, it's really nice. It's nice to see. And it, um I feel really good that there's people like yourself out there spreading, you know, this message as well and inspiring other, you know, young people to, to, to slow down and kind of come off the the autopilot of whatever that is, whether it's social media or like a career track or whatever, it doesn't matter. Right. Just taking some time to think about these type of questions. And, um, and everyone benefits from that. Well, thank you. And I agree. Everybody does benefit from that too, for sure. Yeah. So what, I mean, we've been talking about it, but I'm curious, like, what does mental fitness mean to you? Oh, I'd say, I think training your mind to
1: overcome things that life throw your way. Yeah. And obviously, it's, I, you can't be perfect. And there's, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. And nobody ever can lift the heaviest weight ever and say they're perfect either because I'm sure they could still improve. And even the best players in the world at sports or in whatever realm they're in still can improve. And so I think that it's that continuous improvement, trying to get better 1% every day, no matter where you're starting. If you're starting from rock bottom, if you're starting from the top, it's getting better that 1% every day. And so I think that's what mental coaching is mental health and even mental growth is trying to get mm. that 1% better every single day. And that sometimes could just be you resting and relaxing, taking the day off. Could be another day of like maybe reflection, reflection and journaling. Or it could be you seeking answers to some of your questions or within yourself and respecting that you might not get the answers and finding that acceptance. Yeah. So all of these different things could definitely lead to the mental health aspect and really trying to grow and be the best version of yourself.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm glad you brought up the, the idea of just, you know, rest and essentially stillness as well and not yeah. in, in the fitness side of things or mental fitness or, or some of these practices because, I mean, that's the hardest one because I think just oh, yeah, in general- sure right? Like we're just not programmed like that. And society is not really set up to reward the stillness or you're thinking in the back of your head, like, oh, I could be doing this or yeah. even when linking it to, you know, physical exercise, like, "Hey, okay, I could be in the gym, you know, pounding mm-hmm. out this workout and, you know, you feel good after and you do this and you do that. It feels weird when, you know, you just take a walk and try to clear your mind uh, okay. Until you experience the obviously the benefit of that, you know, then sure. it, it becomes pretty obvious. But to get started, it's pretty tough. So, you know, thanks for bringing that up. And, you know, I, I'd love to know, Caleb, just kind of what are some of your non negotiables in your routine right now on the mental fitness side? Mm-hmm. So, just before we go into that, I think,
1: yeah, what you said, that mindfulness is absolutely critical. And I actually didn't really understand what it was until after the crash i did it beforehand but i didn't know it was called mindfulness and it was just more i thought me doing deep reflection however okay. i would like sit down and like write my notes and think about things and like i'd write down goals of what i want in life but i never really like actually just sat there in stillness and i think after the crash i went to actually york and one of the counselors at york said i had to meet one Um, As soon as I got there, they wanted to check in with me and just see how everything was going and see where my head was at and all that aspect. And uh, he was like, why don't you do mindfulness? And I thought about it. I was like, what's that? (laughs) He was like, well, download this app called Headspace (laughs) and uh, sit and listen to it for three minutes, either in the morning or at night. So I was like, well, okay, I'll I'll try it out. I was like, what do you prefer? He's like, I like doing it in the morning. It gets me in a good headspace for the day. I was like, Mm -hmm. okay. So I did it first thing in the morning, first time, and I did my three minutes. I fell asleep during it, actually. Uh, So I was late for class that day. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So that would kind of really mess me up. So I did it the next day at night. And I kind of got into the rhythm and I found so much comfort and just being still and feeling my emotions, feeling my body, and growing within that and feeling comfortable within that. So just wanted to touch on that. But yeah. Well, isn't it amazing, though? Right, yeah. with like oh. ten minutes can do? <laughs> oh, it's unbelievable. Honestly, unbelievable. And so the non-negotiables, I'd say, for me is. Hmm. hmm what do you mean
0: by non-negotiables? Can you just give me like a yeah. little bit of a? Yeah, background? absolutely. Uh, just uh, you know, if if I kind of think of of some of the things that I'm doing, like for me, the mornings, like the morning hour and scheduling some exercise and some journaling and sometimes some breath work. Like those are the things that mm. require a huge push or massive reason to disrupt that in my morning or day. There's yeah. like, it, it takes a lot to, to push that. Cause I just know that I'm off if I don't do yeah. those things. So like stuff like that.
1: Okay. I'd say working out for sure. For me, yeah. I want to be active every day, no matter some days I need a rest. But I want to be active as often as I can. So that's a non negotiable for sure. And even gratitude, I still wake up every morning and think of three things I'm grateful for every day. Mm. And that takes zero, like, takes like 10 seconds out of my morning. Yeah. But it gets you in the right headspace and the right mindset too for the day. Because if you wake up feeling grateful, you actually live your life with more gratitude and the little things
0: you won't sweat as much. Yeah. Can and I can I add something to that one? For just sure, fe- yeah. I feel like just, you know, ha- having this conversation with you, you'll like this one. I just, uh, this episode's not out yet, or I guess it might be by the time yours releases. I interviewed someone yesterday, Roger Love, uh, who's a voice coach and has worked with actors and singers and whatnot. And he shared something similar, uh, you know, kind of first thing, of you know, when getting up, kind of feet hitting the ground, that he says something to the fact of, Today will be an amazing day, and w- which that's not you know that's interesting. That's a great way to start the day. But then he he he's already defined what amazing is, and it's not necessarily what you would think. It's like he looks for the amazing moments where someone may have you know smiled at him while walking down the street, and you know isn't that amazing? Like we we connected in some way. So anyway, ever like this was just fresh yesterday. Uh, I, I kind of woke up and did the same thing and I'm looking forward to doing more of that. I feel like you would like this as well, just especially since you're starting on gratitude. That's funny. Yeah. So then my next one is literally, I try to do one good
1: deed a day. Okay. And there you go. Yeah. So that's actually hilarious. That I was what you brought up. But literally that's like one of the things that is non-negotiable is I try to do one good thing a day and it could be something simple such as me picking up the garbage that fell on the side of the road. Or yeah. it could be me sending a message to my friend just to check up and see how they're doing mentally and physically. It could be me calling my grandma or me calling uh, a person who I haven't talked to in quite a long time. And I honestly try to do one good deed a day. Today. And it even could be me sending a message to um, someone or me picking up a tab or me picking up the drive-through person in front of me. Yeah, and I, I try to do one good deed a day, today. and I think. Those are my three non-negotiables.
0: Love it, love it. I mean, I've got a whole bunch of prompts listed here from you just throughout our conversation, but uh, you know, you saw some, the, the pre-show email. If, if there's anything I'm missing, I'll list out some of the ones that you mentioned uh, of questions, reflective questions that you think yeah. about. Uh, let me know. Here, here are a few that I've picked up that I, I love. Is this hurting or helping me? What's in my control? What if I wasn't here? That's so powerful. Yeah. What's the short-term and long-term impact? Yeah. Are there any There's others that you, uh, I, I, and if there are none, it, it's totally fine. But uh, if there are, sh- let me know if you've got some other ones are. that you think There's about. tons, yeah. So <laughs> okay, go are, for it. Yeah. I,
1: um, so when you did have those three reflective questions that I really look at is, are you truly happy? Yes or no? And why? Mm. And I think the why is the biggest part about it. Is yeah. like trying to really get to the root and ask yourself why again after you've tried to find that first why. And so I think those that's really powerful. And then I really touched on the three thing, three things that you're grateful for. Mm-hmm. And then I have another one that I like to use in those situations is are you holding on to things you can't control? And if so, what are they and why? Yeah. And I really think that is really introspective and you put in what you get. If you don't care, you weren't, you're going to do it or you won't do it or you'll brush it to the side. But they like, oh, as I, I can't, I can control as fine. I just gotta be better at this, sir. Sure. So I think that's a really introspective one. It puts things in perspective too, for you. And then the last one is, what are you doing today? That'll help you tomorrow. And then also, what are you doing today? I'll help others tomorrow. So, I think you ought to do both stuff sure. that will help you and then st- stuff that will help others. And uh, those would be some of the questions that I like to reflect on.
0: Yeah, those are great. Those are really great. What a great way to start the day as well with with questions like that, right? I mean, it's 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 almost impossible to then step into the day in a negative mindset or a you know destructive mood i mean this that that's that's why i am so obsessed with questions cuz literally one prompt um a i've seen it save a life but b just you can instantly shift your mood and your thought process just like that right yeah. these are great for that last question Thank for you. you sir what makes you smile each day ooh
1: i got lots i'd say <laughs> I'm such a happy-go-lucky, smiley person because yeah, I'm I feel just that. really grateful to even be here in the first place. But um, I say some things that make me smile in a day are my family, my friends, the bonds I have with people. I'm really big on relationships. And so when I look into myself, I find happiness through those relationships. But I'm also very happy with just the way that life has been, too. I have so much to be grateful for. a roof above my head, food on the table, people who love me and care for me. I have a good support system. I am able to still pursue my dreams and goals, regardless of all the injuries I've been through, the situation I've been through. Um, There's just, for me, there's so many things that make me happy, even like watching sunsets or walking my dog Murphy or playing with him. Mm -hmm. I think that, When you look at the grand scheme of things in life, there's a lot that you could be focused on that's negative. But with me, I've always tried to focus on the positive. And so the fact that I can impact other people's lives through checking in on them or reaching out to them and sending a cute message saying, hey, hope you're having a great day. Or uh, just saying, I like your outfit, you look great. Some of those little simple things, or even giving a smile to someone, like you said, walking down the street. I think that when I'm able to spread love and um positivity to others, it really makes me happy and smile on the inside and
0: outside. It's a beautiful way to live, man. And I'm, I'm smiling. I've been smiling the whole show. I want to thank you again for taking some time to come jam together and, you know, higher thank, thank you and shout out, I think to everyone around you and your, your parents, your coaches, your friends, your family for just, you know, leading you down a path with a mindset like this and you showing up every day and working on it and, and dedicating your energy to help others. It's really a beautiful and noble thing. So thank you for everything you've already done and what you will continue to do. It's, it's a real privilege to have had this conversation. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your
1: time and having me on here, Mark. And I can't wait to read your book and see all the great things you do throughout life as well. So thank you very much.
0: Uh, thank you.